are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Misery Monday to all the 12s out there. I guess it's not too miserable because we only have four quarters left of preseason football. Thank goodness. We're going to be breaking down the Seahawks' 30-3 loss to the Broncos at Lumen Field on Saturday night, plus tackling your mailbag questions. The NFL season is about to begin, and nobody covers it like the Locked On Podcast Network. August 30th through September 8th, Locked On's Ultimate Season Preview is taking you through every team and every division with the help of Odyssey's lineup of NFL experts. Follow the Ultimate Season Preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts to tune in beginning August 30th. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks not only were dominated on the scoreboard on Saturday night, losing to the Broncos 30-3, but it was also a game with major casualties, losing two key reserve players in John Ursua and Ben Burkirvan to what we now know are season-ending torn ACLs. The first injury happened when Ben Burkirvan in the opening kickoff landed awkwardly, badly hyperextended his left leg. Ursua crumpled down to the ground late in the second quarter at the end of a route on a non-contact injury. Both players had to be hauled off the field on a medical cart, so it didn't look good. Pete Carroll, after the game, said they had significant knee injuries. And again, we now know both players are done for the year. They're going to need knee reconstructive surgery. And so the Seahawks might be on the lookout to try to add another linebacker and another receiver to the roster here for the final preseason game. Yeah, they, they certainly may do so. Um, you know, it is obviously very, uh, you know, they're just sad news for, for Ben Burkirvan and, and for John Ursua, both of whom I thought had been playing some of the best football um, of, of their, uh, you know, short NFL careers for the Seahawks uh, throughout this process, Corbin. Um, you know, and, and so it really is, uh, you know, just kind of tough news. And then just put a pall over the entire game. And obviously, anytime that you lose a, a game 30 to 3, um, you know, now been now been by a combined score of fifty to ten, uh, going up against the, the Denver Broncos and Las Vegas Raiders. Obviously, for the old school Seahawks fans out there, old AFC West opponents in the beginning beaten this bad, and then have the injuries as well. Um, you know, it, it is a kind of a misery Monday. Um, but at the same time, I think that there's actually more uh, pleasant surprises after re-watching the game tape. This was a closer game than that score suggests, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, unfortunately turn the page a little bit on, on some of the, the players that got injured for the Seahawks and see if if he's able to, to bring in some players at that linebacker, uh, wide receiver, and maybe even along a defensive line uh, positions, um, and, and then breaking down some, again, some of the positives from this game, because I do believe that there were more in week two of the preseason than there were in the first week of the preseason, despite what the score suggests. As you mentioned, the timing, obviously there's never a good time to suffer a torn ACL. They would This would be a major injury for both these guys, regardless of when it happens, but 
Ben Burkirvan was getting some reps with the starters. Now, I don't anticipate that he was going to be playing very many snaps on defense with Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks being in the lineup, but he had had a very good training camp, and you and I were both looking at him as kind of being a fringe roster player going into camp. I think he had solidified himself as a lock because we know how good he is on special teams as well. So with the lack of depth the Seahawks have there now, I think Nick Ballore, they might just want to move him to fullback full-time at this point because – or to linebacker full-time at this point because he just – he played really well on Saturday night, and they don't have many other bodies. Aaron Doncor has not proven that he is close to being ready to play in NFL games. They haven't gotten John Radigan back from a hamstring injury. He's been out for weeks. So depth at that position is looking pretty shaky. That is a significant injury for the Seahawks from a depth perspective. Plenty of people are wondering if this reopens the door for K.J. Wright. I still think that's fairly slim odds, but maybe this increases it just a little bit, not having BBK for the 2021 season. As for Ursua, I think the timing for him might be even worse because I was at every practice this last week, and this was easily the best week of practice that John Ursua has had in three seasons with the Seahawks. He was making a bunch of catches. He had a couple nice returns in uh, special teams time. And so it looked like he finally was starting to click and he got some reps early in his game and he caught all three passes that he had thrown to him for 34 yards. One of them was kind of like a jet sweep. They counted as a pass because it was thrown forward to him, but showed he could run the ball after jet motion. So really looked like Ursua might be playing his way back into the conversation to make this football team. And unfortunately, that momentum is going to be completely halted by his knee injury, and he went to Instagram Live. I could not find this video for hours. Several of my friends reached out to me and, and told me yesterday morning that John Ursua announced he tore his ACL, and I trust my friends. They're, they're, they're quality people, so I'm like, yeah, this video was, was out there. I could not find it, though, so I thought maybe I'm acting like a boomer and I just can't find this video because I don't know how to run Instagram, and so I, for several hours, was looking for this video, and eventually I've got other reporters like, have you actually seen the video? And it's like, no. <laughs> so I, I started to wonder, you know, did I make a mistake reporting this? I didn't think that I did, but uh, I briefly took the article down just to make sure I could find the video, and Thank goodness for a couple fans stepping up to the plate that had recorded John Ursua's Instagram Live, and they were able to post it on Twitter, and we were all able to see this actually did happen on Sunday morning. So Ursua officially done for the season, as is Ben Burke-Irvin. Two significant losses for reserves, players that had a chance to make this 53-man roster and play for the Seahawks in 2021. We'll see what roster moves they make in upcoming days, but certainly not what you want to see in the preseason. These games, you want to really the number one goal, you want to get out of these games healthy. And that just did not happen for the Seahawks. They also lost Ryan Neal in this game to an oblique strain. Who knows if he's going to be ready to play in week one. That's an injury situation we'll have to monitor here as the preseason closes out and we get closer to the opener against the Colts on September 12th. When we return to the second quarter, Rob Rang and I are going to be answering your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's that time of year again and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron 
to start the NFL and college football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, the season opener between the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using the promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Like we do every Monday, it's time for our weekly mailbag segment. Plenty of questions from you, the 12s. We got a lot of questions about one player in particular that reportedly is visiting the Seahawks today. So we're going to start off with a question revolving around that player here coming from Holden Tudyk's tweets. What do you make of Geno Atkins' visit? Does he have a shot to be on the team? And if he does, can Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap rekindle the magic that they had in Cincinnati? This is a name that we've talked about a lot this offseason, Rob. Back in April, I was told the Seahawks may have interest in Geno Atkins after he was released by the Cincinnati Bengals, former all-pro defensive tackle. He's now 33 years old, made one tackle last year, but... The Bengals have been trying to phase out older players, and he was dealing with an injury. He had an off-season surgery. He's now fully cleared. He doesn't have to worry about participating in training camp if he signs here in the next couple of days. So this seems like this is about the right timing for the Seahawks to bring him in and add him to a defensive tackle group that, quite frankly, is looking pretty thin in these preseason games. Yeah, as you said, Corbin, we've been discussing uh, the, the possibility of Geno Atkins or, or any number of other veteran defensive linemen. It seems like all throughout the, the offseason, um, obviously, with, uh, the, you know, with, with Jaron Reed moving on to Kansas City, that that three technique position is one of concern. And, and I think a, a healthy and young Geno Atkins is one of the great three techniques that the game ha has seen in the last you know 20 or 30 years. I have my reservations about where Geno Atkins is at this stage. However, I think the Seahawks were kind of emboldened with the, the play that they got from Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap, of course, wasn't having much statistical success with uh, the, the Cincinnati Bengals before they traded him to Seattle. And once he got to the Seahawks, then obviously his career was rejuvenated. I think that, that whatever Dunlap has been telling John Schneider, Pete Carroll, Clint Hurt, et cetera, et cetera, then that obviously has been filtered through. And so the Seahawks are, are doing their due diligence. This is very much um, what we've seen the Seahawks do in the past, late in training camps, looking for uh, you know some of the other veterans that might be able to put them over up over the top. I would argue that there are positions of concern that are are, are greater. Uh, needs at this point than defensive line. But as we've talked about so many times, the defensive line is one of those positions that can completely change a team. And, and there's no question that Atkins has a great deal of talent still. 
Yeah, I think this is still a player that's got a little bit left in the tank. Now, I would not expect him to be a starter at this point. I think he has reached the stage of his career where he can be a quality rotational piece. And we've seen the Seahawks in the past. They've had a lot of success with older defensive tackles. When Kevin Williams came to town, he was not a starter for most of that lone season in Seattle, but he gave them quality reps as a rotational three-tech. I think that you can still get that out of Geno Atkinson. I asked Carlos Dunlap back in April about the possibility of playing with Atkins again. And he said that would be dope. But at the time, he was hitting it. You know, we've, st- we've got a lot of young players here I think that we can be fine with. you got to wonder now at this point, though, with what we've seen from some of those younger players in these preseason games, it's been underwhelming, to say the least. you got to wonder if that's maybe provoked Carlos Dunlap to go into the role of recruiter a little bit. Hey, John, let's let's get him back over here. I know how to play with him. And Maybe those two can have another really strong season playing alongside each other. I think it would be a worthwhile addition. It's just got to, he's got to have his workout. You got to see how healthy he is coming back from this surgery. And if he checks both those boxes, I would be surprised if they don't sign him because the Seahawks do have some cap flexibility as well. And, and it's late in training camp, heading towards the end of the preseason. This is the wheelhouse where aging veteran players that don't want to play in camp, this is where they sign. And it gives them enough time with two weeks between the preseason finale and the regular season opener to get him ready to go. So season veteran two weeks should be more than enough. We'll see what happens on that front. Second question coming from preseason BBY tweets after two preseason games, what's one new concern you have for the Seahawks and one new point of strength? That's a really good question. That, that's a terrific question. Uh, I would argue that uh, the one of the positions of concern for me would be offensive tackle. Uh, it's not anything new. I think anything along the offensive line in Seattle has been a concern for oh, roughly a decade or so, maybe even more. Um, but at the same time, obviously, with Dwayne Brown's hold in with the, the struggles with durability of, of Cedric Abway, Jamarco Jones, um, the kind of inconsistent play that we've seen since Stone Forsythe. So specifically that left tackle position, even if Dwayne Brown returns, which I presume he will. You know, going to be 36 years old, and uh, you know the durability has been very good for him, but it's not been perfect, and I, that's one of the biggest concerns I have. I've seen an awful lot of NFL players, Corbin, who sat out last season um, and then still entered the NFL draft, and some of those players are struggling. Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase, two top 10 draft picks uh, as examples who are struggling a little bit. I always wonder about players who miss a great deal of training camp and then step right in. There, there's guys like Walter Jones or Dwayne Brown who have been able to do it in the past, but as you get older, that gets more and more difficult. So left tackle is certainly a position of concern for me at this point that I did not have uh, entering the season. Tight end is the position of concern for me, and only just because of depth. I mean, we haven't seen Gerald Everett and Will Disley in these preseason games, and I anticipate those two are going to be quality tight ends. It sounds like Colby Parkinson has a chance to be back quicker than expected. Maybe they have him for week one. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Tyler Mabry's situation is a bit more uncertain with his foot sprain, but that's the reason why that is a position that's emerged a little bit to me. They did just release Domwood Anderson after he had five penalties in Saturday's game, and he dropped like three or four passes the week before. He had a golden ticket and unfortunately was not able to to take advantage of it at all. I just don't – I look at the depth they have at that position, and I feel like maybe maybe Kale Waring, who just got released by the Houston Texans, and he was struggling with injuries in Houston, but he's only 24, a former third-round pick. Maybe a guy like that you take a flyer on. But that is a position from a depth standpoint, at least with Parkinson out, that I'm a little bit concerned about that I wasn't a few weeks ago 
as as far as positions that maybe have been a surprise on the good end, uh, really there hasn't been anything that stood out to me as far as, man, that position has been way better than I expected it was going to be because there's been some injuries in a few spots. I might have said linebacker, but now BBK's done. Corner has been underwhelming for the most part in these preseason games. That was a spot of concern. Center's been underwhelming. That was a spot of concern. So really no positions that have jumped out to me in these first couple of preseason games. Like they're, they're looking better than I anticipated they would be. And unfortunately, I don't have a position group to give on that one. Hulk Groot tweets, who has the better chance at making this roster now, in your opinion, with John Ursua being out? Kate Johnson, Cody Thompson, or Travis Toivonen, also known as TikTok, apparently, according to Coach Pete Carroll. <laughs> well, it's fun, a fun little nickname. There's been some interesting nicknames that have been bouncing around, uh, you know, over the last couple of days. Um, you know, I, quickly, I, I'm just going to say Cody Thompson. I, I'm a big believer in Kate Johnson. I do think that he's got a shot, but to me, Cody Thompson has been the, you know, he, he's been with Seattle longer. Um, and, and so I think that he has a little bit. Uh, of an advantage at this point over Cody Johnson. I think Travis Trevon has a, or TikTok has an opportunity as well. I really like his length, his body control, uh, you know, and, and so I think that he might be kind of that classic fifth or sixth receiver who's the big, tall target that the Pete Carroll is always prioritized. So I think that's going to be a fascinating one and and one that that uh, I think that is pretty even at this point. So I think that's interesting. I will go back to that last question for a moment, Corbin. One position that I do feel is more of a strength than I anticipated has been that kick returner job. I think DJ Dallas has absolutely stolen it away. I've been intrigued by what I've seen by Trey Brown as well, the rookie. And I really thought that DJ Reed, based on what he did a year ago, was going to be the, you know, the incumbent star of that position. So to me, that was a position I had some concern about, but I think that it's been greatly improved so far throughout training camp. As far as the receiver competition, you went with Thompson, and I think he's certainly earned that opportunity to be on the roster, being the practice squad the last two years, for him to break through and make the team. That'd be a great story, but I've got to go with Kate Johnson on this one, just because He's an undrafted rookie that if you don't release him, you've got full club control for the next several years. Cody Thompson's now in his third year in the NFL, so you don't have as long of club control. And I think that on special teams, both these guys can offer some things. You just mentioned the kick return game, though. I would be curious to see a little bit more of Kay Johnson in that regard because the one return he had the other night, he was able to break a tackle and get some extra yardage. So I want to see a little bit more from him in that capacity. Pete Carroll sounds like they might be leaning towards giving him an opportunity to maybe step up and play with the ones. He didn't obviously say that directly, but this is a player that's had a good training camp and looked really good given bad passes at times the other night. So I think Kate Johnson would be my pick of those three, but between those three, him and Thompson to me seem like the best shot. Toivonen has been an awesome story. He's had a good camp. I don't see him being on the cusp of getting a roster spot though. Maybe he's a practice squad guy though because he's a bigger receiver and he's done some nice things in camp. Shane Dover tweets, could Robert Kendiche be a veteran on the practice squad? I think this is a really legitimate question when you consider we still haven't seen Robert Kendiche in game action for the Seahawks. Uh, excellent point. And, and I think that there's enough NFL teams out there, Corbin, who are sick and tired uh, of Robert Kim Dice's antics and his his potential but lack of, of success in the NFL. So I think that it is a possibility of, of kind of sneaking a veteran player onto your practice squad that it might be able to work out. It also might be the incentive that Kim Dice needs um, to, to recognize that the, the Seahawks are not going to just bank on his talent. He is going to have to, you know, to 
turn in a consistent uh, effort day in and day out and obviously be durable as well. So I, I think that it is a very legitimate possibility that the Seattle will be looking at, at, at that. If he's on the market and doesn't get claimed off waivers, which, as you mentioned, there's a possibility teams might turn their heads away because of what his past is, has been about. But if that happens, the Seahawks could certainly bring him back on the practice squad. And with it being 16 players, they're keeping the same structure from a year ago. You can have veterans on there. I certainly could see the Seahawks doing that. Right now, I think Kim DJ and Rasheem Green are potentially battling for one roster spot. What might change that is the fact that Rasheem Green has gotten some snaps playing Leo these first two preseason games as a stand-up two-point rusher, and he's looked pretty good doing it. That is not something he had done very much for the Seahawks in the first three years. So adding more versatility to his game, that might actually help Kim DJ be able to make this team because that's not something you're going to see him do. He is a big five-tech end or a three-tech defensive tackle. I think he has got to play this preseason finale, though. He practiced last week, did not play on Saturday. Some are suggesting maybe that means he's already made the team. I am not on that side of the coin. I think that this guy has got to show that what he did in practice early in camp translates to games to be able to get onto this roster, especially with how well Rasheem Green has played. So I think it's a really big week coming up for Robert Kamdiche, and he doesn't if he doesn't fully take advantage of it, I could see him getting waived. And We'll see what happens from that point. If he clears waivers, the Seahawks could certainly bring him back. He's enjoyed his time in Seattle. But, again, this could be a critical week for him. Last question coming from Holly tweets, what's one player on defense and offense that has surprised you thus far? So we go from position groups to individual players. I know you and I love talking about individual players that, that maybe have caught us off guard a little bit from a good standpoint. Yeah, that's the thing. From a positive perspective, uh, you know, I, I do love talking about uh, players who have, you know, kind of create a little bit of buzz for themselves that maybe aren't generating a great deal of attention. You know me, Corbin, I'm always going to kind of go back to the, the NFL draft perspective. And so I'm going to highlight two players who are undrafted free agents who I think absolutely, uh, you know, have an opportunity to, to make this squad. Uh, I'm going to start off here with uh, the, the right tackle, um, Jake Curran. We've talked about him before. I really thought that he was Seattle's best offensive lineman, frankly, in both preseason games. Um, so he definitely is a player, is an undrafted guy um, that I think I've been pleasantly surprised by how well he has played. And then on the defensive side of the ball, this is this is young man's in his second year. We've talked about Gavin Heslop before. He was a guy I was really excited about, but I'm just eager to see even more from him because his physicality, his tenacity, I, I think really stands out in a cornerback room that I think is long on long athletes, short on physical guys, unless they are the smaller guys, like a Trey Brown, like a DJ Reed. But with a guy like Gavin Hessel, who's six foot, 200 pounds or 195 or so, he's got legitimate size. He just doesn't have the ball skills. So to me, those are two guys that I think have, have, have impressed the coaches more than maybe they've impressed members of the media and don't have a great deal of buzz about them, but wouldn't be surprised at all to see both those guys wind up making Seattle's roster. So I'm actually going to go to the center position for my biggest surprise, and that's Brad Lundblade, because I think Brad Lundblade has been significantly better. Now, he's played against third and fourth stringers. That's what's worth noting, but I think he's been significantly better than Kyle Fuller in these preseason games. And this is a guy that is dressed for one NFL game in his career when he's with the Carolina Panthers, a bigger bodied center. I think he's looked decent. And I kind of want to see what he would look like with a little bit more run, maybe playing with the starters, because I think at this point we know what Kyle Fuller is. 
I'd like to see Lundblad get thrown into the mix. If Posick's not going to be back for his injury this week, which it sounds like he might get back in the practice field, but I don't know if he's actually going to play in the game coming up against the Chargers. So Lundblad has been a pleasant surprise for me, a guy that really I think a lot of us just thought best-case scenario practice squad. That's probably still the case, but he has been better, in my opinion, than Kyle Fuller in these exhibition games. And on the defensive side of the football, I've got to go with Heslip too because really there haven't been a lot of surprises on defense for me as far as guys that have really stepped up that I didn't expect were going to. And maybe, you know, what's the guy's name, uh, the Williams kid that they signed? Lakeem Williams? Yeah. He's been kind of impressive, but he's played against third and fourth stringers as well. So maybe he's one that we need to see a few more reps from playing higher up on Saturday. I don't see that happening, though. Heslip is the player, though, that wasn't on my 53-man radar that now clearly is in part because a lot of the other corners have not taken advantage of their opportunities and not been able to create separation. I feel like he has done a lot with the reps that he has gotten. He's played some in the slot now too, so he's showing versatility, can play special teams. You mentioned the physicality. We've seen that in these preseason games and on the practice field. So I think Gavin Heslop right now is on the right side of the bubble for the Seahawks on their 53-man roster. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to look closer at Seattle's 30-3 loss to Denver at Lumen Field on Saturday night. Plenty of positives and, of course, plenty of negatives to discuss as well when we return. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Did you know the Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan like myself, we're definitely passionate about our favorite flavors. And if you don't know some of the Built Bar flavors out there, well, you're missing out. Coconut, raspberry, double chocolate, one of my personal favorites, salted caramel, as well as cookies and cream. Tons of delicious flavors. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. I usually order two or three sets of them at once because I've got to have a Built Bar before I lift weights or go for a long run. Regardless of my workout, it is my pre-workout snack of choice. Not only are Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. So you get amazing flavors, all tasty, and all healthy. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order at Built.com. Locked on Seahawks is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand in their warehouse that they happen to carry? You have the computer to access rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more than the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, to even getting new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in How Did You Hear About Us so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Monday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. The Seahawks dropped to 0-2 during the preseason, losing at Lumen Field their first game with fans back in attendance in two seasons. Fans didn't get a lot to cheer about, though, unfortunately, in a 30-3 defeat. You look at this game, and you mentioned it during the first quarter when we were talking about John Ursua and Ben Burkirvin's injuries. And it was really weird that I felt the same way re-watching this game. Because last week when I re-watched the preseason opener, it was like trying to pull a nail out of my foot. Like, I did not want to watch the rest of that game a second time. But there, ironically, were a lot more positives in this game. The Seahawks had more yardage on offense. They were moving the ball. On defense, they were getting the Broncos into fourth down situations. The problem was that they couldn't stop turning the ball over on offense, especially in the first half. And then on defense, they couldn't get those fourth down stops. And that allowed the Broncos to score two touchdowns in their opening drives. But we have to just keep in mind, more so than last week, this was a game where one team, the Seahawks, they still didn't play very many of their starters. The Broncos are in a different spot. Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke are competing for the starting quarterback job. And so Vic Fangio, the head coach, he wants to have as much starting talent out there to open the game so that he can get the best evaluation of those two quarterbacks that he can. And we even saw on defense, Justin Simmons started in this game, the all-pro safety for the Broncos. They played a lot of their really good players. The Seahawks did not. There was a major talent discrepancy in this game. And so nobody should have been surprised the way, the way that this first couple quarters played out and ultimately led to a blowout loss for the Seahawks. They just were overmatched with the players they weren't playing compared to their opponent. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it comes down to, is the Denver Broncos were playing their starters and Seattle was not. Um, and, of course, at the quarterback position, that's most obvious. And so you have two quarterbacks in Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, each of whom have, have started multiple games in the NFL, full seasons in the NFL. And then you got a guy that um, – you know, let's face it, Alex Magoo, who has some talent, um, but at the same time, he is still a very raw quarterback. And I think that we saw that. Um, and, and I don't want to put all the blame on the quarterback. Uh, as we mentioned, I mean, there, Seattle wasn't make, uh, starting many players along the offensive line on, on defense as well. And the Denver Broncos were doing quite the opposite. And so it, I think it was a fairly predictable uh, outcome. Um, at this, and at the same time, I think that when you look at that score, thirty to three, you think, "Oh my goodness, they just got whitewashed." Like you said, getting a, a, a hammer out of your or a nail out of your foot or something, kind of a painful experience. But you know, when, when I look at the at the stats for this game, Corbin, and you know, take into consideration again just the fact that, that Seattle was playing some players that aren't likely to be seeing any type of of action when, once the regular season uh, occurs, then I think that some of the statistics are a lot more. Uh, palatable. And I'll give you an example of it. I mean, in terms of first downs, you remember how bad the Raiders just absolutely destroyed Seattle? Denver had one more first down than Seattle. 16 first downs to 15 for Seattle. Both teams were 5 out of 14 on, on third down. Uh, in, on third down, as you mentioned, it was Seattle's inability on fourth down was really one of the key features in this game. Seattle was 0 for 4 on fourth down. Denver was 3 for 4. Total yards were virtually the same. Broncos had 2 264. The Seahawks had 250. Again, I, I think that when you look at the individual players and evaluate them, I think that this was a, a, a game, a preseason game that the Seahawks just looked at like we want to see 
how our players are going to fit in to this new scheme. We're going to play a lot of young players on the defensive side of the ball, see how they fit in. The Denver Broncos taking a completely different strategy. I'm very interested to see how Seattle performs against the Chargers this upcoming game when Pete Carroll has already said. He didn't say the starters are going to be there. He said some of the guys that you're used to seeing. So basically the starters are going to be playing week three of the preseason. That's the game that you have to evaluate and see if Seattle is going to be ready to hit the field of running when they have the Indianapolis Colts here and a little bit less than three weeks away. I think this is going to be mostly a positive session, which our listeners are going to be like, but we lost by 27 points. But again, you look at the box score and you realize if we didn't have three turnovers, and again, you don't want to blame all of it on Alex Magoo, but I mean, a lot of the blame falls on Alex Magoo in this game. He had that horrible interception at Justin Simmons, and apparently he did not realize Justin Simmons was going to play in this game either because he basically gave him a Christmas gift without the wrapping paper on it for an interception in the first quarter. So those type of turnovers doomed this offense the first half. They were moving the ball. They were getting first downs, but those turnovers killed them and the penalties killed them. Uh, no offense to Don Wood Anderson, but he single-handedly destroyed a couple drives with some penalties as well. And so little things like that snowball on you, especially when you're playing playing against starters and you have reserves on your side of the ball. So I think that that's something that we have to consider here. But I mostly want to talk positives because – Again, I rewatched this game and I thought, you know, I know the scoreboard doesn't reflect this, but it just seemed like there are a lot of positive developments. And I want to start at a position that you mentioned you were concerned about. But Jake Curran, I think we need to really highlight his play from these first two preseason games because he did not give up a single pressure in more than 20 snaps on Saturday night. I did not have him down for a pressure against the Raiders either. And the Raiders played some of their better pass rushers in that game. The Broncos were playing some of their better players off the edge early in this game. And Jake Curran got the start at right tackle. What people have to remember, and Jim Nagy told us this when he was on our show after the draft, this is a player that before a heart condition was revealed was getting fourth, fifth round draft buzz. And there were a lot of people that had him higher on their board than Stone Forsythe. And He's looked pretty darn good in these two preseason games. He had a couple really nice blocks where he just washed the pass rusher downfield. And he was much better in the run game this week than he was in his NFL debut. Seattle didn't have a lot of big runs, but there was one play where he down-blocked a defensive tackle and basically drove him six, seven yards down the line. And Josh Johnson had a huge crease to pick up nine yards and nearly get a first down. That was one of the few nice runs I had in this game. But I thought that, Curran was really good in the run game. I thought he was outstanding in pass protection. If I'm Cedric Abwehi and Jamarco Jones, I'm thinking I better get back in the lineup this week and get some snaps and play in the preseason finale because if I don't, this kid's got four years of potential uh, club control. He's going to take my job. Oh, not only them, I think Brandon Shell as well at that right tackle position. I think that Jake Curran, there, there's no limit to, to what he can do. Uh, you know, I mean, at least based now? on – uh, at least based on what we've seen so far, I mean, he he has really played very, very well. And he's kind of an interesting guy in that he's got a kind of a guard-like frame. You know, our, our Locked on Seahawks listeners have listened to me kind of drag on about Ethan Postick's frame and things like that. 
you know, when you look at Curran, I mean, he's got broad shoulders, he's got kind of a squarish kind of a frame, looks more like a guard, and he's got shorter arms, 33-inch arms. That suggests guard as well. But his initial quickness, you, you mentioned it there with the run blocking, his ability to get to that down block and then get to the jump up to the, the second level. I, I was really impressed by that. And again, his initial quickness and pass protection as well. Von Miller did not play for the Denver Broncos, but Bradley Chubb, former number five overall pick, uh, did play and got a sack against the Seahawks, but it didn't come against Curran. And so, again, I, I'm really excited about Curran. I, I wanted to mention a couple other players who just really, I thought, just kind of popped off the tape. We, we mentioned before DJ Dallas. We could talk for a long time about how good DJ Dallas has looked. Uh, I also want to mention a couple of linebackers. I thought Jordan Brooks made a couple of spectacular plays. And then Mr. Everything, Nick Ballore, that was one of the more instinctive plays I've seen from a linebacker in a long, long time. Corbin, he damn near took the handoff uh, on one of those plays early on to get a tackle for loss. That just kind of made me jump up out of my seat like, wow, that is linebacker play right there. And considering the horrible injury to BBK, I think that that's one of the huge takeaways from this game as well. As Nick Ballore went from being a guy that I think was – on the roster bubble and one of the more invaluable players, but obviously not somebody that you really rely on to play to, to be a starter. But now uh, I think that he is sitting pretty right now, considering how much Seattle likes to use their backs, how good Nick Ballore is on special teams, obviously being a special teams captain, obviously being a pro bowler a year ago. And then at the linebacker position as well, I thought he played spectacularly. And those are the things that I think get swept away sometimes. And all people focusing on is the final score. We talked about Cade Johnson last quarter, so I'm not going to dive in much more on his play. I think that given the passes he had thrown his direction, he did pretty well to get three receptions for 34 yards. He could have had a much bigger night if the quarterback play was better. But another player with the last name Johnson, I mentioned the nine-yard run that he had that was opened up by Jake Curran, but I thought Josh Johnson quietly had a pretty solid game. Now, he averaged less than four yards per carry, but if you watch the film – there was a sequence, three play, three straight plays, he got stuffed, and it was not his fault. The line just simply did not open up any running room for him. You take those three plays out, though, you can see the burst. You can see the decisiveness. He's got some wiggle, the ability to carry and drag defenders for extra yardage. You see a lot of the qualities the Seahawks went in the running back. So he's going to be very hard-pressed to make this team because of the depth they now have. But certainly this is a guy that they will want to keep around on the practice squad. And I think in 2022 – that he could be a player, and maybe even this year of injuries strike in the backfield as we've seen the last couple of years. This is a guy that I think can be a running back in the Seahawks rotation at some point down the road, and he's proven it in these first couple preseason games. And on the defensive side, with Geno Atkins now coming to town, potentially signing, the chances of Jared Hewitt making this team, he's a very similar situation to Josh Johnson, but he had a really impressive sack on Drew Locke in this game where he just rocketed into the backfield. This guy's a really good athlete for a 290-pound three-tech. You can move him to the big end position. He had a couple other promising pass rushes in this game. I thought he had a couple nice run stops against the Raiders the week before. So Jared Hewitt is a player that I don't think is making the 53-man roster, but like Josh Johnson, I think he has now played himself into either being a commodity waiver claim for another team or being a player the Seahawks are going to they're going to want to keep on the 16-man practice squad. Maybe at this point has passed Cedric Lattimore, who unfortunately has not lived up to my expectations in this preseason. 
Yeah, that, that is a good point. And, and I thought that Hewitt did have some splashy plays. Frankly, guys like that need to make splashy plays in these types of games. Uh, you know, and, and so I thought the Kate Johnson, you mentioned him before, uh, DJ, uh, DJ Dallas being another one that has made some of the plays where, you know, if you're watching the game at all, you you just have to to notice them. And that's the types of, of performances that these players who are on the roster bubble absolutely need. We we know who the kind of the standard Seahawks are. Not very many of them were playing over the last couple of games. But so when you need when you see somebody who make a you know a, a jaw-dropping kind of a play, that's one that you kind of circle on. And when they they keep doing it over and over again, the way that Kieran has, the way that Kay Johnson has, the way that that DJ Dallas, for example, has then again, that's the ones who are going to wind up being the quote unquote surprises who make Seattle's roster. Betting on the NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked On NFL Bets podcast or the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. When Rob and I return for the Tuesday show, as we did last week, we're going to be looking at some players that bolstered their stock for making the 53-man roster and players that didn't help themselves very much in Saturday's loss to the Broncos. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.